Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I am uh, not Pastor Rich, obviously. Um, Pastor Rich is not with us this morning. He's feeling under the weather, and so he thought that it would be best if he went ahead and kept his germs to himself, and so he is not going to be with us this morning, but we're so glad that you guys are all here and that you're joining us online either live right now or a little bit later when you have a chance to watch this, so welcome, (laughs) and the Lord be with you. (laughs) Amen, amen. Pray with me, will you? Lord, we can never thank you enough for the blood that, has, that you have shed for us, that, that washes us as white as snow, that washes away our sins, that frees us, Lord, from the bondage of sin and death. Father, I thank you for your blood. I thank you, Lord, for your redemptive work, for, for all that you do and the ways that you work in us and the ways that you work in, in our circumstances and throughout our lives, Lord, calling us and bringing us to you so that we can know this washing of our sins by your blood. Lord, I thank you for the prayer that we have just prayed in this song. I thank you for the ministry of Doug and Mary and, and others who share their t- gifts and talents and music. Lord, it helps us to connect on a way that nothing else helps us. And Father, I just thank you again. I praise you, Lord. I give you all the glory for each person here, for each person who will see this later, who's watching us now, Lord. I can't say enough how much I thank you, how grateful I am, Lord, for your your working in our lives, your working in this church, your working in, in the circumstances that all of us face, Lord. Some of them are good. Some of them really are really great circumstances, and you are blessing us so richly and so deeply right now. Some of our circumstances, Lord, are more challenging and maybe even downright difficult, but Lord, you are still working and you are still moving and you are still being God in each and every one of them. And so, Lord, I thank you. I praise you for what you are doing and what you are going to accomplish in us and through us, maybe in spite of us. (laughs) We give you all the praise and glory, Lord. In your name we pray this. Amen. Now the peace of the Lord be with you. Okay, this is the time now that we would mingle, but we're taking a little half step back. Thank you, Delta, uh, from doing that. We're, we're just going to wave again at each other. And while we're waving at each other, we have a little video from Pastor Rich, who is going to bring us some announcements. Well, hello. Hi. Good morning to all of you there in the room and to all of you joining us online like I am today. If I haven't met you, my name is Rich Schmidt, and I'm the pastor here at Living Hope, and I am under the weather. The rapid test came back negative for COVID, thankfully, but we've been saying for months now that if you're sick, please participate from home. So now I get to lead by example, I suppose. (laughs) Thankfully, Pastor Judy has something super helpful to share from Scripture today. But before she gets up, I asked if I could be the one to share some announcements with you. Uh, First up, masks and the changing COVID landscape. Uh, The church board met this past week and decided to appeal to your better angels. We're not requiring you to wear a mask, especially if you're vaccinated. If you're not, we still ask you to wear one, at least until you get to your seat, since we're all still supposed to be social distancing and sitting six feet away from folks that we're not in regular contact with. 
I can't see if you're doing that or not, but if you need to scoot over a couple seats, now's a good time. Uh, as you noticed, we did step back from the uh, free-for-all greeting time that had us all crisscrossing the room and giving handshakes and hugs. We're back to waving to each other for now, but uh, feel free, of course, to mingle and talk before or after the service. And here is where we need to remind you again that Jesus tells us to act toward others the way we want them to act toward us. So if you're approaching someone to say hi and they're wearing a mask, just pull yours out of your pocket, slip it on, or keep far enough away that if they had a pool noodle on them, they couldn't hit you with it. Uh, if you offer somebody a fist bump and they opt for a wave, just smile and wave back. And we've noticed that some of you have been asking permission to see if people are okay with you giving them a hug. That's probably a good idea all the time, <laughs> but especially now. Now, we'll keep watching the numbers, and hopefully, as more and more of us get vaccinated, this thing will start to fade again. Until then, uh, we'll just keep making adjustments to try to provide the safest, most welcoming environment we can under the circumstances. Okay, I'm going to have to be much more brief with the rest of this. If you enjoyed the bike giveaway that we did a couple Saturdays ago, good news. You don't have to wait until October for the next one like we thought last week. The folks doing the free bikes and bike tune-ups, they want to get more bikes to people while the weather's nice. So they're going to be back on Saturday, August 28th from 9 o'clock to noon right here in our church parking lot. That's two weeks from yesterday. So tell your friends. Also, the teens had a great kickoff party this past Friday night, and now they're going on a six-week journey of discovering more about God's amazing grace. And they have two opportunities each week to be a part of it, on Monday nights or Wednesday nights right here at Living Hope from 6 o'clock to 7.30 p.m. And uh, by the way, our Wednesday night Bible study for the next couple of weeks is going to start at 6 o'clock as well, uh, just to make it easier for any parents to participate who might be dropping off uh, middle school or high school students at the youth group. So if you want to know more about the youth group, ask our youth director, Jason Thomas, or write us a note on your Connect card. Ah, you can go to livinghope.info slash connect and, and uh, fill that out right now. You can let us know you're worshiping with us. You can ask us a question, give us some feedback, or let us know how we can pray for you. Again, it's livinghope.info slash connect. Of course, if you're there in the room, you can, uh, if you prefer to rock it old school, you can. Back by the offering box, there are some green cards and pens. You can write your note right there and drop it in the box along with any gift that you're giving today. Or you can join those of us who are online and go to livinghope.info slash give to give online. And uh, speaking of giving, <clears throat> I have one last announcement. We are excited uh, to partner once again with Porter County Habitat for Humanity to build a house for a family in need. And this time, we get to help build it. Uh, last year, we had someone in the church step up and offered a match up to $6,000 of whatever we would give to Porter County Habitat. Well, together, we gave just over $7,500 plus that $6,000, and then all of that was matched again by Thrivent Financial to equal just over $27,000 for a new house for a family here in Porter County. This year, it gets even better. The giving opportunity is the same. There's that same $6,000 match, and all of it again will be matched by Thrivent Financial but this year we have build days right here in Valparaiso. We've got two of them on the calendar already, Friday, September 24th, and Saturday, October 16th, plus two more potential build days as the year goes on and they begin to close up the house and we can do some of the inside work and some paint and some cleaning. It's gonna be fun, all right? We should have sign-up links and more details to you by email and Facebook uh, later this week. And you should always be able to find the latest information at livinghope.info slash habitat, okay? I don't think I have any talking left in me. I hope to be well and with you next Sunday, but now let's lean in and, uh, and hear what God wants to say to us through his word as Pastor Judy brings the message today.
Aren't we thankful for technology? <laughs> I don't know if I could have gotten through all of that and bring a message and everything else. So I'm very thankful for technology this morning. Um, and I do consider it a privilege to be here with you this morning. I really do. I know this is what, isn't what we expected. It wasn't necessarily in our plans, but it's still a privilege to, to stand here and, um, and have the word that God has given me. And, and I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I never preach a sermon that God hasn't preached to me first. Okay? He, he, has, he has been working this message in me for a long time. So... If, if you feel like this was meant for you, it was, but it was also meant for me. <laughs> um, and we certainly want to make sure that we are praying for Pastor Rich, that he's feeling better and back to his, his uh, energetic self and um, is back up here next week. Um, I love you guys so very much. And like I said, I consider this a privilege, but um, I'm going to be gone all week for my regular job, my full-time job, and I don't know if I would have another message ready by next Sunday. <laughs> so we really want Rich to come back, don't we? <laughs> anyway, so this morning I want to look at a misconception that we might have about what it means to be a Christian. <clears throat> it may be that we've developed this impression about Christianity from the churches that we attended growing up, or maybe from other Christians that we've known, that we've worked with, or we've lived near, or that we just have had contact with. This misconception or this wrong impression has even been the reason some people have wanted nothing to do with the church and Christianity. And this misconception, this mistaken impression, is that being a Christian is all about following a set of rules. We've probably all heard some of those rules, haven't we? The do's and don'ts, right. And we come from many different faith backgrounds. You know, some of us have grown up in a, in a more liturgical tradition, a Catholic or Lutheran or, or you know, some, like I said, something just more liturgical, more, more structured. Some of us maybe grew up in a, in a freer tradition where, where things kind of flowed a little bit differently. And all of that is fine. It's all good. It's all faith traditions, but we still can get these impressions from all of those traditions, all of those, those histories in our lives. Maybe, maybe it was from a nun at a Catholic school that was wielding her ruler. I, I, know, I know that's a stereotype, but it's not a stereotype for nothing, is it? <laughs> um, maybe it's from that pulpit-pounding preacher who loudly extolled the virtues of certain behaviors from the pulpit. Or a Sunday school teacher that's just trying to wrangle those kids into behaving. <laughs> you know, Whatever our background or our tradition, many of us developed a mistaken belief that being a Christian involves following a set of rules. And some of the rules may even vary depending on what our tradition is that we grew up in. I grew up in the Church of the Nazarene, which Living Hope is a part of. And I grew up in a time that looked much like what the church in Rome looked like that we're going to be looking at later. I have memories, I have great memories of growing up in the church with people of great, great faith who could pray like nobody else that I've heard in a long time can pray. They could pray for hours 
It was amazing. As a five-year-old, it seemed like it was forever. <laughs> um, I, and people who were so influential in my spiritual formation, so influential in me knowing who God was and, and what it meant to live for the Lord. People who lived their faith out in so many ways. I still remember them to this day. But those very people, though I truly believe were well-intentioned, absolutely well-intentioned, often held tightly to a set of rules or laws, quote-unquote, that were the identifying mark of their belonging to the Church of the Nazarene in particular. Rules such as not women not wearing pants. <clears throat> they would not appreciate what I have on today, <laughs> and that's okay. Um, not wearing pants, not wearing jewelry, not wearing makeup. I'd be in big trouble. <laughs> not cutting their hair. Um, men wearing a suit and a tie to church without exception. There's a few of us that might not measure up. <laughs> um, not going to movies. Men and women or boys and girls not swimming together. Not playing cards, not drinking or smoking, never working on Sunday, not shopping or eating out on Sunday, not watching TV on Sunday. There were so many rules. And if you looked at each one of these rules individually, at least some of them were, they were okay. They really were in that they tried to keep the focus on Jesus. You know, the, the not watching TV on Sunday, the not going out to eat, the not shopping was their way of trying to keep the Sabbath holy. So there was nothing wrong with that, except that it became necessary. The focus started to, to shift to a strict adherence to these rules in order to be identified as part of the Church of the Nazarene. And then they started to be enforced by some folks. And unfortunately, it became a means by which so many people came, came under bondage to these rules. That, they, that the rules were more important than their relationship with the Lord. Their rules were more important than knowing Jesus. As long as you looked good on the outside and you acted the way you were supposed to act, everything was fine. When really, things weren't always fine. Now, I doubt I'm alone in these kinds of experiences, right? So I've seen a couple of people nodding their head. Some that have been around churches like the Church of the Nazarene back at that time. And thankfully, the Church of the Nazarene is no longer like that. And because that's my context and my, my um, faith background and tradition, that's the one I can speak to most educatedly. Is that a word, educatedly? I'm, I'm not sure. If it's not, it is now. <laughs> I just made it up. Anyway, but what I really, really hope for today is that we can get a clearer picture of what it means to live by faith instead of living by a list of rules. So this morning, we're going to be reading passages from Romans 4, 5, and 6. I promise we're not reading all three chapters completely. We're going to take from the different, different pieces from each one. And we're first going to look at Romans 4, 13, 13 through 5, 2. And these scriptures are in your handout, and they're from the New Living Translation. 
So starting at 413, it says, Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift, and we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses, if we have faith like Abraham's. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. And this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life. Amen. And who creates new things out of nothing. So when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and in this he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He, meaning Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, now when you see a therefore in scripture, that means because of all of the stuff that we've just read, therefore, because of that, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Whew. <laughs> That's a lot, isn't it? <laughs> Paul, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, just so we, just so we know who's, who the author is. But he wrote letters to the believers throughout the world as he knew it in that time. And he wrote them for a number of different reasons. To teach a, a right theology of who Jesus Christ was, to establish the truth of the gospel of Jesus, to admonish churches sometimes and believers that were straying from the truth of Jesus' teachings, and then to encourage those who were following Jesus rightly to continue to do so. In this letter to the believers in Rome, Paul explains in a very systematic way the gospel of sin and salvation. When we look at this letter, we need to remember it was written to the church. It was written to believers, to followers of Jesus. It wasn't written to unbelievers or pagans. It was written to those who had received the forgiveness of their sins and were living as new creations in Christ. In fact, in Romans 1.8, Paul thanks the Romans for their faith. It was so well known throughout the world then that word of their faith had spread out all over. All over. They had a reputation. 
of being faithful to the Lord. But despite this great faith, Paul still needed to instruct them in the freedom that they had and that we also have in Jesus through his righteousness. You know, I can't help but wonder if maybe there were some, some similarities between what was going on in the church in Rome and some of what goes on in our churches today. Not here at Living Hope specifically, necessarily, but in churches in general throughout, um, throughout the U.S., because that's our context, okay? A portion of the Christians there in Rome had been Jews prior to receiving Christ, okay? And they insisted on a strict adherence to the law of Moses in order to follow Jesus. But there were others that were Gentile believers. They never knew anything about the law of Moses. They had been Romans and they had worshipped Roman gods. They had been secular, as we would call, unbelievers, as we would say, secular unbelievers, who didn't know anything about the law of Moses. Yet they were believers. They had accepted the same forgiveness of their sins. They were in right relationship with God and living by faith. But the Jews didn't felt that the Jews felt that the Gentiles needed to follow the same law of Moses that they were insisting that they follow. Does that make sense? And neither one of them were totally wrong, but neither one was totally right either. Now, Paul had heard about this tension that existed in the church in Rome, and he writes to them with the intention of helping the two understand the importance of the law in tandem with right relationship with God through faith. If we only needed to obey the law, Abraham could never have been righteous, could he? He predates the Ten Commandments and the law given to Moses by a few hundred years. I, I googled it. I, I'm going to admit, I didn't remember off the top of my head. I googled it. It was around 400 plus years between Abraham and Moses and the exodus out of Egypt. So Abraham couldn't have followed the law to be righteous, could he? He didn't have it. Okay, so because he predated the law, he couldn't be held responsible for what the law was. And the passage we just read indicates that faith is pointless for those who only obey the law, as the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. We can't. We can't. No matter how hard we try, we cannot obey the whole of God's law all the time without fail. And if we break one law, we've broken them all. So rather than working and working and working and working to try to follow all of the law, we have freedom to receive the promise of right relationship with God through Jesus as a gift freely given to us by God. We're assured that we will receive this promise whether we perfectly obey the law or not if we have faith like Abraham. So let's, let's look a little farther into Romans 5, down to verses 20 and 21. It says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, 
giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, this is the dichotomy, I know that's a big word, sorry. This is the dichotomy of sin and grace and the role that the law plays in it. The law isn't all bad. It gives us a framework, maybe a, a skeleton, so to speak, to understand what is right and wrong, what, sin, what is sin and what isn't. But having the law to show us our sin meant that now sin can rule over us. Before we know the law, we aren't yet aware of the bondage and death that we live in, do we? But once it's revealed to us through the law, we now know that we now know what the law is, and only grace, only God's grace, can release us from that bondage and death and give us right relationship with Him as well as eternal life. And thank God. He gave us this grace and the promise of eternal life. Thank God he's given us this grace. But let's go just a little bit further. <laughs> Starting in chapter 6, verse 1. And I'm going to let the word speak for itself, okay? Paul, Paul was a, even though this is a letter written, Paul preached this way better than any pastor or evangelist or anyone else I've ever heard. So hold on, it's going to be a little long. But just try and, and let the words soak in as we read through them. It says, well then, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we, <laughs> thank, you, thank you for that. I hear that in my head too. I hear Paul being just a teensy weensy bit sarcastic in that. Just a teensy weensy. So <clears throat> since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Hear that again. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. And, we, and he will never die again. And death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. We're going to skip down to verse 15 where it says, Well then... Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean that we can go on sinning? He asks the same question again, a little different wording, doesn't he? Of course not. Again, just an eensy, teensy, weensy bit of sarcasm there, maybe. Maybe. Okay, the way I hear it in my head, there is. But it says, don't you realize that you became the slaves, you become the slaves of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, 
which leads to righteous living. Thank God. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey his teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Now we're going to skip down again to verse 22. It says, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Whew. That'll preach, won't it? (laughs) It's a good thing. But our culture today... And the Roman culture Paul was living in might not be entirely the same. There's a lot of differences. If nothing else, technology makes it different. But regardless, what was sinful then is sinful now, according to the law that, that was given to us, right? Both of our cultures are trying to tell us that sin is okay and even acceptable, acceptable for followers, followers of Jesus to, to participate in. We're being told that God's grace will cover us. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission, right? Yeah. No, not always. <laughs> I mean, some of us, um, too many of us operate that way. Oh, God's got it covered. I can just ask forgiveness. I can do what I want now, and I can ask for forgiveness later. So, That gives us this idea that we don't have to worry about sinning. But that isn't what we just read in the scriptures, is it? If we are living lives of faith by grace, we must live in obedience to righteousness. God's grace does not give us license to keep on sinning. Twice Paul asks, so should we keep on sinning because we have God's grace? And he says twice, of course not, right? And while we no longer live under the law, it doesn't eliminate the standard that is set by the law. The good news, though, is that we can live lives of righteousness. Not perfection, not perfection, but righteousness. We just read in Romans 6, 4, and 7, and I want to reread it really quick where he explains, we, were, we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ... We were set free from the power of sin. These little verses right here, these couple of little verses indicate that because we identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the power of sin in our lives is broken. We're still capable of sinning. We're still capable of choosing to go against the standard that is set for us in in the scriptures and, and in the law. But we don't have to. We don't have to. Because we've been set free from the power of sin in our lives. And we, we here at Living Hope and in many churches, we, we talk regularly about Jesus' death and resurrection in the context of receiving communion. 
but Paul here is talking about the, the identification of Christ's death and resurrection through our baptism. It does so by identifying with the death of Christ as we go under the water and then with his resurrection as we come up out of it. And in identifying with Jesus' death and resurrection in this way, the power that sin has to keep us in bondage is broken. Like I said, we don't have to sin. Instead, we have the power to overcome sin. And that power comes from the Holy Spirit through our baptism and our identification with the death and resurrection of Christ. Nevertheless, we're human. Oh, some of us are, some of us are so very, like I said, this was preached to me way before I stood up here, okay? Some of us are very human. And we tend to do better when we have a list that we can check off and make sure that we're meeting all the expectations. Many of us, and myself included, tend to live by to-do lists. How many of you have a to-do list somewhere, anywhere, Okay. It, it, it's just, it's who we are. It's how we get things done. It's how we feel productive, right? And how we measure what we've accomplished in any given day or, or week or month. Or... But how do we know if we're living righteously if we don't have any way of knowing what that looks like? If, how do we know we're being righteous if we don't have something that we can check off on a list? It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> And often we look for a list of do's and don'ts that we can check off and measure. Well, that's what the law is useful for as far as having an understanding of what, those, what the standard is. But instead of being a list that we check off, the law should be more like a mirror. A mirror that we look into and we see what the standard is and see if our reflection looks more and more like Jesus. When I heard that illustration the first time, it changed the way I saw the do's and don'ts that I had grown up with. It's not a list to check off. It's a mirror that I look into and does my reflection look more like Jesus today than it did yesterday or last week or last year or five years ago? We aren't the first people to wrestle with these questions of the law in fact, the teachers and experts in religious law at Jesus' time asked Jesus this very thing. With all of the laws the Jewish people had to follow, and in an attempt, honestly, to catch Jesus saying something incriminating so they could arrest him, these experts in the law, these Pharisees and Sadducees, they asked him a very pointed question. We read it in Matthew 22. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And one of the other gospels adds, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I can remember two commandments. 
Those are, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer sometimes, but I can remember two commandments. And what Jesus here is telling us in answer to these experts that if we love God with everything we have, all that is in us, if we love God with all of our heart, that's an emotional love. If we love God with all our, our mind and intellectual love, with all of our soul, the spiritual love, with all of our strength, which is our, our physical bodies, if we, everything we do, everything that we are, if we are loving God and then loving others as we love ourselves, we will never violate, knowingly violate the law of God. Sorry, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> but when, and when sin's power in our lives is broken, and if everything we do is motivated by loving God and loving others, we not only don't violate God's law, we actually fulfill the law completely and live lives of righteousness looking more and more and more and more like Jesus. And the good news is that we don't have to worry about keeping track of a list of do's and don'ts. We don't have to be afraid of making God mad because we made a mistake and forgot a rule. When we live out our intentions and our actions as loving God and loving others, we are going to live lives that are pleasing to God. So my question this morning is, are you ready to be free of the bondage of following all the rules and find freedom in loving God totally and completely and loving others passionately. I encourage you this morning to let God begin the work in you of changing your focus from checking off the boxes on the list and living by faith, by loving God and loving others. Pray with me if you will. <coughs> Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have in you. Freedom to love you completely. Freedom to love you passionately, abandonedly, Lord. And then loving others as you love them. Sacrificially and completely. Unequivocally, Lord. And in doing so, Father, that you have made a way for us to be righteous and to have right relationship with you. That you have given us a way, Lord, and given us the power through your Holy Spirit, Father, to live out that love, free from the condemnation of broken laws, free from the condemnation of mistakes that we have made in our past. Lord, free to just be whoever it is that you have created us to be and do whatever it is you have created us to do. Father, thank you for that freedom that we have in you and only in you. Lord, I thank you that it is through your death and resurrection that this freedom is possible, that this righteousness is possible, that right relationship with you, Lord, is possible. And Lord, as we're invited to this table, in the, the table of communion, in the name of the one who said, I am the bread of life, let us remember that this is the table of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's here that we remember how he gave his body and his blood to save us. Now pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who's in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Um, you are free to receive communion in whatever way you're comfortable with by coming forward and taking the elements from the basket, by remaining at your seat and using the elements that are already at your table. But we invite you to come to the table. And now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.